Let's join together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, may we never take for granted the high privilege we have of opening Your Word and letting Your Holy Spirit use those words in our lives. This morning, in a particular way, I pray that each one of us will be encouraged as we're challenged in our lives to recognize all that the Lord Jesus is, all that He does for us even now. May we fully trust, understanding that it's a growing process, but may each one of us grow even in these next 30 minutes. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Matthew, Matthew chapter 15 this morning, and if you'll turn with me there, we're going to pick up the reading at verse 29, and we will continue through the rest of the chapter. Matthew 15, beginning with verse 29, the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Now be honest with me. As I read the scripture this morning, did any of you think, didn't we just hear that story a short time ago? How many of you thought that? Didn't we just hear that? Well, you would be almost right, but that's not quite accurate. We did study together a similar story about a month ago. May 7th, but not the same one. So the question is, were there two feedings, or did somebody just not count the same as somebody else? And we'll see that as we go along. One of the points we can make, though, in the fact that this was really two feedings, two separate incidents, is that Jesus' ministry was extensive. He repeated many of his miracles. He didn't just heal somebody here, and that was the end of his healing ministry. He was healing people all over the place. The miracles were running rampant all over. We have no idea how many different miracles Jesus did, but we do have the idea that he did many, many of them. It was not one and done. It was many and continuous with these miracles. Now, one could question 
how many spectacular, naturally unexplainable, reason-defying miracles would it take to convince someone that Jesus truly was the Son of God, that He truly was the Messiah, that He really was the Savior of the world. How many of these multitude of miracles would it take to convince someone? And you may be thinking, well, these people were there. They were seeing this. This particular group was there for three days while he was healing people and while he was performing miracles. Three whole days. Great crowds were coming and they were bringing people to Jesus' feet. You could think, what was wrong with those people? Why didn't they, after three days, begin to realize that Jesus truly was the Son of God? He really was who He claimed He was. He was the one who could meet all of their needs. He was the one who could save them. He was the one that they should place their trust for eternal salvation. Why didn't it seem to sink in to most of these people long-term, maybe short-term for some of them? What was wrong with these people? Why were they only temporarily affected? You wouldn't have been part of that fickle, front-running crowd, would you? The ones who say, hey, that's great, and then they forget about what Jesus did, and the next time there's a problem, then they begin to complain and to, to doubt and to have anxiety. One could also reason this. If I had been there, if I had seen just one or maybe two of those great miracles? Or if I had been there and I could have seen and heard Jesus speak with such wisdom and authority and power, how many times would I have heard, heard to, had to listen to him to hear that? I would have accepted it right away. It would have only taken one or two times. And these people are hearing him all the time. Now you're thinking about these people. What's wrong with them? Now let's take another group. How about the apostles? They saw a whole lot more than this great crowd on this occasion. They weren't all with him for every miracle, but most of them were there most of the time for those miracles, and all of them were there for um, some of or excuse me, some of them were there for all of them. But remember the apostles. They saw, and basically we could say that they heard it all. Honorable men. For the most part, if you take Judas Iscariot away from them, hand-picked fishers of men. How many miracles do you think they saw? Would you have to say in the thousands? It would number in the thousands. Because if you go back in Matthew to our studies, you can hear uh, the reports over and over again that Jesus didn't just heal one or two people. We have the accounts of them, but then it says many, many people, and he healed them all. That word all keeps appearing. I think we could safely say that Jesus performed thousands of miracles when he was here. The apostles saw them. They heard everything that Jesus said. Yet, it seems they always needed more. It was never enough. They needed more. They needed to see Jesus do more and more. It's as if they had no memory whatsoever. And the good news is that Jesus had an infinite amount of patience with them, just like he does with us. Doesn't that make you glad that he has patience with each one of us, just like he did with them? Imagine being in what we're about to see, what we've just read. Imagine being there with a front row seat and seeing Jesus do this over and over and over again. Imagine being part of great crowds and great healings, which the first three verses we read introduce us to. 
First, let me ask you this question so that we can, those of you that like geography, I'm not really one of them, but I think it's important to be able to get a glimpse of where Jesus is when these things are happening. So where did this take place? And once again, we can see on the map that this is all taking place. Down south of us is Judea, Jerusalem. They would be down in this area here. Then comes Samaria. Then we get up to Galilee. Here's the Sea of Galilee. There are miracles that had just taken place. Jesus had just been up in Tyre and Sidon, up in Phoenicia. He had come down here to this area. He's going to be in the wilderness down in here. He'll end up in, in this particular place, Magadan it's called, or sometimes it's called Magdala, where Mary uh, Magdalene would have come from. So this is where Jesus is. It's beside the Sea of Galilee after Tyre and Sidon. He went up on a mountain there on the Sea of Galilee. He went up there. And he was there when this great crowd gathered. Well, what happened next? And Matthew does call them a great crowd, a megas. They came to Jesus. But the account that we just read tells us they didn't come alone. They brought with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute. And then it says, and many others. It's that overused word today, the marginalized were there. They were coming to him. Those who had some physical handicaps, those who were challenged in many ways. Well, what did they do with all of these people who were physically challenged that they brought to the Lord Jesus? It says they put them at his feet. Remember, he was sitting down. So picture Jesus there sitting down on the top of the mountain. Great crowds, they're coming and they're bringing those people who are physically challenged and they're being dropped right at Jesus' feet. What did he do? It says very simply, he healed them. Can you imagine having been there and witnessing that? Would that change your life forever to see somebody who could do that? He didn't do what a team of great specialists would take a lifetime and hope to achieve a tiny bit. He instantly healed each one of them, everyone was healed. There wasn't anybody that came that Jesus said, sorry, I can't deal with you, or I'm going to have to refer you. I can't handle you. Jesus healed everyone. Can you imagine being there for that? Well, the great crowd was there. They saw what happened, and it says in verse 31, they wondered. They saw and they wondered. This is not the quizzical kind of wondering. This is not the kind of wondering that says, what's going on here? No, it's a Greek word. It's thalmazo, and it means to wonder in the sense of marveling, to be struck with admiration or astonishment. It can be summarized with the word, wow. They're seeing something that is spectacular that is going on. So the great crowd that was there, and it says that they wondered, that word for wondered is used elsewhere in the scriptures. I want us to get a quick picture of that. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, it says, And the men marveled, and you'll know immediately who the men were. They said, What sort of man is this that even the wind, even winds and sea obey him? This was Jesus' apostles marveling, using that same word. What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? So remember the apostles. They're not just marveling once or twice. This is happening over and over again. Matthew chapter 9, verse 8. This had to do with when Jesus healed the paralytic. When the crowds, notice again, it's plural. When the crowd saw it, 
And they actually used the word afraid to translate this Greek word now. They were afraid. Yes, they wondered so much they were afraid. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. And if they had continued along that course, it would have been a totally different story. But they did glorify God, but it was only temporary for most of them, unfortunately. Matthew 9.33, And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. You can see that that word wondered means to, to marvel and to be astonished and, to, 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 and, and great emotion is taking place. Matthew chapter 21, verse 20, When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Remember, Jesus cursed the fig tree and it died right away. And Matthew 27, 14, but he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor, this is Pilate, was greatly amazed. So that's what's happening here with the, the crowd. And again, we're in verse 31, so that the crowd wondered. At what did they wonder? They wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. You can't fake those kinds of healings. You can't fake those people that knew the people that were healed who brought them. These people were totally healed all at once. That was a very, very amazing thing. And remember, it was for three days that this was taking place. Jesus didn't run into town, heal a few people, and then run away. For three days, this was going on. They Remember verse 32, the many others. Not just that group of four that we mentioned, but uh, four kinds of maladies, but others, many others. And they glorified, it says, the God of Israel. Suggests that this may have been a Gentile crowd, even though it was on the Sea of Galilee. There were a lot of Gentiles who were there. That introduces us to what happens next. Another great picnic. A second picnic is going to take place. And the first thing that we see is Jesus' compassion in verse 32. It says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd. And we've seen that compassion of the Lord Jesus. If he were standing here right now, he would be looking out on everyone here, and he would have compassion on everyone because he knows exactly what you're going through. I know a little bit about what some of you are going through. He knows everything about what everyone here is going through. And he is compassionate. This is a different word than we've seen before, but it has the same kind of meaning. Same kind of meaning to feel deeply with visceral concern, meaning right from the stomach. It is something that is coming out of the Lord Jesus. It's tender emotions from the pit of his very being that he feels for this crowd as he feels for all of us as well. And we're told in the Scriptures that we need to be like Jesus. We need to have that same kind of compassion for those less fortunate than we are. All over the Bible, it tells us that one particular verse, 1 John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's one of the marks of a believer in Christ. It's a test of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've got it, somebody else doesn't, you hoard it, 
you don't use it, you don't minister. Is God's love really in you? Examine yourself. Is it all about you or is it about others? As it, is it about letting the Lord Jesus live through you? So another great picnic shows us the compassion of the Lord Jesus. David Roper, some of you are familiar with that name. He writes devotions. He says this one time, I ate breakfast the other day with a man who 60 years ago sold newspapers and shine shoes on the streets of downtown Boise, Idaho. He told me all about his life in those days and how much things have changed. What's changed the most? I asked him. People, he said. They don't care anymore. As a case in point, he told me about his mother who often fed hungry men who came to her house. Every day she prepared food for her family and then made several more meals because she knew homeless travelers would start to show up around mealtime. She had deep compassion for those who were in need. Once she asked a man how he happened to find his way to her door. Your address is written on all the boxcar walls, he said. Do you understand that picture? Those, sometimes we would call them vagrants or hobos who sometimes live and often will travel in the boxcars. They wrote her address on the walls, all over the walls of the boxcars. They knew here was someone who would help them, someone who would have compassion, someone who would feed them. David Roper goes on to say, I wish that type of compliment could be said of all of us. That compliment was your address is written all over the boxcar walls. People know where to come to see someone who is compassionate. And you know people still do that today. It doesn't have to be a boxcar. They used to mark the sidewalk when we were living at the manse. They would mark the sidewalk because they knew my wife would help them. She gave away my sweatpants and my favorite sneakers one day to somebody. Can, can you believe? But he needed them a lot more than I did. But David Roper says, I, I wish that type of compliment could be said of all of us. In the feeding of the multitude, Jesus gave us an example of what it means to care about the physical and spiritual needs of others. It would be wonderful if our homes were known as places where hungry people could find bread. But more than that, we need to pray that our homes will be known as places where spiritually hungry men, women, and children will be loved, listened to, and given the bread of life. So the Lord Jesus, demonstrating his compassion, he shares with the disciples do you know these people have been with us for three days? If we send them away now, they're likely to faint on the way home. This is very serious. The last time the people had been there for a day, and that was serious enough, but this, multiply it by three times. The Lord Jesus' compassion is in earnest. And again, we see the disciples' surprising and perplexing inability to trust Jesus immediately for the solution to their problem that surfaces in verse 33. You look at verse 33, and the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Where are we going to do that? Now, the numbers are different, but the picnic plays out like the one back in Matthew 14, just a short while back, and in all the other gospels, it is included in all the gospels. Maybe you remember the scenario from a month ago when I asked what the big idea, the main focus of the parable of the feeding of the 5,000 was. 
I listed several possible choices. I wanted us to think together, what is the big idea? What is the main lesson in this story? And among the choices were these. It's the big idea in the feeding of the 5,000 that little is much when God is in it. That certainly is a valid biblical principle. It's certainly something that's illustrated in that story. But I don't think that's the big idea. Have you ever heard anybody say God in one is a majority? Do you think that's the best way that could be put? God and one is a majority? I don't think so. I like to say God is a majority. He doesn't need the one, but it would be more appropriate to say one and God is a majority if you want to get a human being into that picture. But little is much when God is in it. That's true, but I don't think that's the big idea. Is it that God multiplies what we give to him? That's certainly here. He did that, but I don't think that's the big idea. Again, is it don't waste food? We shouldn't waste food, but I don't think that's the big idea here either. Is it that a young boy was willing to share his lunch and all of us should be sharing things? That's certainly valid, but I don't think that's the big idea. And you may recall that I said at the time, about a month ago, all of these are important ideas, but the big idea is that Jesus wants us to realize that he is the one to turn to for help in our difficult and puzzling situations. You may recall with the feeding of the 5,000 that Philip was being tested. Jesus said to him, what are we going to do? The disciples were told, you give them something to eat. That was a big test for them. And they needed to learn that, yeah, you can do this. It looks impossible, but you can do it. Why? Because Jesus is there. The miracle worker is there. You've seen it over and over and over again. Why do you get anxious? Why do you get upset? Because Jesus is there. Point again, we aren't alone. When we've got problems that we don't think we can handle, Jesus is right there, and he wants us to realize that it's not only up to us. We're not alone. You may recall a month ago we also had someone sing, Where Could I Go? One of the verses is, Living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford, striving alone to face temptations sore, where could I go but to the Lord? And in the chorus, Where could I go, or where could I go, seeking a refuge for my soul, needing a friend to help me in the end? Where could I go but to the Lord? That's the big idea behind the feeding of the 5,000. Where can I go when I've got trials and troubles and difficulties and I've got worrisome situations? Where can I go? Do I have to try to face it myself? Do I live in anxiety? Or do I simply cast my care on him because he cares for me and he's told me to do that? Why didn't the disciples get it at the first picnic? Why not at the second picnic? Why didn't they get it? And it's obvious from here Verse 33, the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Why didn't they get it? Why don't we get it today? And I want to be very personally personal here. Why don't I get it? The end of the week, a week ago, we had a situation where we were being moved one day by some professional movers. We were settling on a house we were selling the next day. We were settling the day after that on buying a house. 
That same day we were moving into a house. And those of you that have sold homes and bought homes and been involved in this type of thing understand that a lot can go wrong. There is a lot that can be worrisome. There are physical things, there are financial things, there is paperwork, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. But we had the Lord provide us with two great realtors, a tip on a great moving company, seven or eight of Alden's finest men to help us to move a number of important things for us. We had friends and family to help us to clean and to get settled. That's not quite true. We're not settled yet. But help us to get as settled as we are now. I'm part of that great crowd that was there at that time. I'm part of the disciples who have lessons to learn. Jesus has compassion on me. Where can I go but to the Lord? I should have that down now perfectly by this time in my life, but I don't. I'm still learning. And I want to use the events that are here in the Scripture before us and the events of my life and our lives to encourage and to challenge each one of us. We don't have to live in fear and anxiety and wondering what's going to go wrong when we can simply trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not lean to our own understanding because God is always faithful. And I believe that's part of why this repetition is here. It's an important learning technique. And I believe we all needed to hear this one again. We needed to hear this miracle of the feeding of thousands of people. This time, it's even a greater miracle because it's a different place. And I'll mention that in just a moment. It's a different place. It is a very desolate place. It's a difficult miracle, and Jesus keeps on proving himself. But there's going to come a point where he's going to say, what else do I need to do before you fully trust me with every detail of your life? You know, you don't have to live timidly all the time. You don't have to live in that anxiety. That's the point that is here. That's why two similar miracles are recorded for us in sacred Scripture in close proximity to each other. Do you know there are many Bible scholars, and I'm going to skip ahead of that song, many, and notice it's in quotes, many Bible scholars who believe the two stories of the feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000, that they're duplicates of the same event. They believe that Mark is confused or that Mark is not the only writer of the gospel that goes by his name. Liberal scholars attack this story as an example of the inaccuracies of the Bible. They say this is an example of two different people describing the same event with conflicting details. It's not Mark writing about two different feedings. It's some confusion that's going on. Is that true? What's going on? Was there only one great picnic? Now, I believe it's very, very clear from the context that there are two separate events described by Mark. That's why the details are not the same. The details are significantly different. Forces the conclusion that there are two separate crowd feedings. The size of the crowd is different. 5,000 men plus women and children compared with 4,000 men with women and children. It says in one account, it's late in the same day, but in this account, the feeding of the 4,000, it says it was after three days. That's a significant difference for somebody to, to get that all mixed up. The number of loaves was different. Five compared 
with seven. The number of fish was specified as two in the feeding of the 5,000, a few in the feeding of the 4,000. That's also a difference. The number of baskets left over was different, 12 compared with seven. In the feeding of the 5,000, the people were seated in groups on grass. Here there's no mention of groups. There's no mention of grass. No doubt this was later in the year. This was the wilderness. This was a desolate place. They sat on the ground, not on the grass. Most importantly of all are the verses in Matthew chapter 16. And if you'll turn with me to Matthew 16, just some of you may have to turn a page. Some of you may not have to even do that. Matthew chapter 16, verses 9 to 11 A little bit later on, Jesus is talking about the yeast of the Pharisees. He's talking a little bit about bread. And the uh, disciples are concerned because they think, oh, he's, he's calling attention to the fact that we forgot to bring bread. We didn't bring anything to eat. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not the case. And we pick it up in verse 9. Jesus says to his apostles, Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Are these two separate events? Jesus thought so, did he not? Two separate events. The feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. He even called attention to the amount of loaves of bread in each one of them. So it's clear that these are two events. The big idea in this section, as I see it, is based on Jesus' observation that the disciples had many opportunities to learn, yet they still had trouble understanding what was going on. Jesus was using repetition with them to help them to get their eyes open. The big idea is in the form of a question that we may hear ourselves asking a lot. When are you ever going to learn? When are you ever going to get this down? The question can still be asked of each one of us in light of the repetition of God's teaching in His Word. Remember what Jesus said in verse 9. Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember? Jesus, in a nice way, is saying, when are you going to get it? What do I have to do? When are you going to live as if you trust me? When are you going to stop living in fear and anxiety and worry all the time? Jesus performed a miracle. And in this case, the feeding of 4,000, perhaps a greater miracle than the one before it because of the desolate place. This region to the east of southeast of the Sea of Galilee was a desolate place. It was a wilderness. The scene for the feeding of the 5,000 was somewhat more favorable, even though the area was considered remote. For in that case, food could be purchased from the surrounding farms and in the nearby villages. That was not the case here. Apart from Jesus and his power to perform miracles, the present terrain was a worthless source of needed food supply. They had to be forced here to say, where can I go? but to the Lord. There was almost nothing available. And get this, the people were in greater need, two days greater need. They'd been with Jesus for three days now. And even though it doesn't look like it, there was even more food left over this time. 
The seven baskets, if you examine the Greek name for those baskets, was they were bigger baskets than the 12 used in the feeding of the 5,000. These baskets were capable of holding a man. They were the kind used in Acts 9.25 to lower Saul down the wall of the city. The other baskets were smaller. They were wicker-type baskets, probably a type of knapsack carried by each apostle. Jesus demonstrated power and strength beyond the natural and even beyond the miracle before that of the feeding of the 5,000. Why? I believe we need that repetition. The apostles had that repetition over and over and over and over again. Finally, they got it. It took a whole lot. It took a resurrection, but finally they got it. But here's the haunting question. Do you not yet perceive? What does Jesus have to do additionally for us to trust him fully with every aspect of our lives and to live a life that is not a life like the rest of the people of the world live, a life lived in fear and anxiety and tension all of the time? Haunting question, do you not yet perceive? Do you not Remember, let's pray. Heavenly Father, may this be the day that many of us say, Lord Jesus, I have sung it, I've heard it, I surrender all, but I haven't. May this be the day that I really get it, that I really trust you. What more can you do than you've already done so that I can live in peace? Thank you for that, and thank you for the repetition. Thank you for the importance of that, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.